Our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins. Championship for Notre Dame! Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now, here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on 960 AM WSBT. Also, streaming live at WSBTradio.com our free WSBT radio app, and a live video stream on the Twitch app. My name is Darren Pritchett. Welcome to the non-football portion of Budweiser's weekday sports beat for 2023. Okay, the USFL is coming up, but eh. we do have spring football on the way, which will, I'm sure, be of interest to you as a sports fan here in the South Bend area. But first things first, we now have two coaching vacancies on the Notre Dame offensive coaching staff. We'll get to those storylines coming up in just a little bit. Budweiser's weekday sports beat from 5 until 7 o'clock tonight. Coming up this hour, our Twitter question of the day focuses on Super Bowl 57. We'll talk about Notre Dame head coaching vacancies once again later on this hour and also do we have to hold our breath about another vacancy we'll get to that speculation in just a little bit in the six o'clock hour the my five question of the day is the top five wins or winners of the weekend at 6 15 just a little over an hour from now i'll be joined by south Bend adams boys basketball coach chad johnston Coach Johnston and the Eagles will make the trip over to Mishawaka to take on the Cavemen tomorrow night in a non-conference matchup at 7.30. You can hear Adams and Mishawaka on our sister station, 96.1 The Ton. Pre-game coverage will get started at 7.05. I'm actually filling in for Brian Miller. I'll have the play-by-play of that Adams-Mishawaka game and We have lots to talk about in regards to that matchup tomorrow night. That's kind of also a Laporte sectional preview, possibly with both of those teams in a highly competitive and balanced Laporte sectional. Also, we'll recap our Super Bowl props that actually went pretty well yesterday, and we'll have a few more picks for you coming up tonight in our Sizzler segment at the end of the program here on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. 
All right, let's start with this. This is not in my hat trick of opening topics. This is just a little nugget that popped up this afternoon I want to mention. But with all the focus on the Notre Dame football offensive coordinator search and now offensive line coaching search, which we'll get to in a moment, we can't forget about that there's a vacancy right now for the Notre Dame men's basketball team. There's not the urgency there because – Obviously, the Irish are still competing at this particular time. You've got some time while the NCAA tournament is going on and right after that to line up your head coach. There haven't been many names even kicked around. We really don't know where Mr. Swarbrick is in that process. Is he talking to individuals? Is he waiting for the season to get over? If there's any name that has popped up more than any other, was Porter Moser. He was the head coach at Illinois State, then Loyola, took the Ramblers to the Final Four a few years ago, used that success to land the Oklahoma job. He's been there for, what, now two years? And Moser is a name that has been connected to Notre Dame fairly or not, accurately or not, who knows, but that is a name that has been mentioned. Well, Porter Moser was asked by the media down at Oklahoma, if there's any interest in the Notre Dame basketball coaching position, Eli Lederman, who is the Oklahoma beat reporter for the Tulsa World, quoted Moser on this topic, and this is what he posted. Moser said, quote, I'm a Catholic kid from Chicago. I have a lot of respect for that university. With that said, I have no interest I've not pursued it, nor do I have any interest. Oklahoma's my home, end quote. So kind of like Brian Johnson, the Eagles quarterback coach at the Super Bowl, squashing the rumor that he might be interested in the Notre Dame job. He says, I'm not going there. Potter Mosier is on record as saying, love the university, have a lot of respect, but I have no interest. I have not pursued it, nor do I have any interest. Oklahoma's my home. So Porter Moser, not on the list unless he's just deking everybody, (laughs) which you know in the coaching industry anything is possible, but I'm sure that's a pretty valid statement. So that leaves us right now without any real names that come to mind or being kicked around in regard to the Notre Dame basketball coaching search again. This could be on the back burner right now until we get through the Notre Dame basketball season And once teams start exiting into their postseason, I'm sure the conversations and rumors will pick up. But Porter Moser says thanks, but no thanks. And who knows if Notre Dame was even interested in Moser. I think I need to mention that as well. There is nothing to validate that Notre Dame was even interested. His name was out there. He was asked about it, and he gave his answer. And we can all now move on from there. And for us, we move on to our hat trick of opening topics for this Monday, February the 13th of 2023. We start with Notre Dame football. And our first hat trick topic turns into 1A and 1B. First off, welcome to day number 10 of the Notre Dame offensive coordinator search. When we last left you, Some names have been crossed off the list. I mentioned Johnson from the Eagles, Klein from Kansas State, who 
reportedly visited here but turned down any opportunities. So that kind of leaves us with Utah offensive coordinator Andy Ludwig. I mentioned him on Friday. Little did I know he was going to be just across the Compton Family Ice Arena for me for the Notre Dame-Ohio State game. Ludwig, head coach Marcus Freeman, Ron Paulus were sitting in O'Brien's watching the Notre Dame-Ohio State game. There was a point that Marcus was shown on the video board and there was Andy sitting right next to him. Now Ludwig, as far as we know, is a leading candidate right now for the offensive coordinator position. Now that particular visit to the Notre Dame-Ohio State game together was three days ago. Still no word if Ludwig is someone that has been offered the job or has taken the job or is considering the job or has turned down the job. Everything's very quiet right now. That doesn't mean necessarily bad things. Ever since a little coaching resume incident 20 years ago, Notre Dame has been very cautious and deliberate about vetting everything about all these coaching candidates. So, without knowing what's going on, there is a chance that Notre Dame could be vetting Ludwig right now. But we don't know yet if he is truly interested in the job after visiting Notre Dame at least on Friday being seen at the Notre Dame hockey game. By the way, the Irish won that game. It was a fun game to watch the entire weekend. was fun. Great atmosphere. The student section was jam full both nights. The fans were into it. So great job by the Irish hockey fans. It was a fun weekend at the Compton. So offensive coordinator, day 10. We'll see if anything comes about later tonight or we move on to day 11 of the coaching search. While that's going on, Harry Heastan retires. Interesting time to announce this. Notre Dame put out a release seven minutes before the Super Bowl started. Bearing news on the weekend, I guess. I would think a guy who has 40 years of coaching experience that did some amazing things here at Notre Dame probably deserves a better time slot for his retirement announcement. Maybe like today. But Harry did an amazing job. I I don't know of any Notre Dame football fan talking to them, reading message boards, whatever the case may be, did not enjoy Harry Heastand being the offensive line coach here at the University of Notre Dame. A guy that put players in the National Football League, he set an extremely high standard that the players carried on from recruiting class to recruiting class. He is, without a doubt, the standard for offensive line coaching. And I'm not going to sit here and be a fool and say it's not a big loss. It is hard to replace Harry Heastam talking to people within the football coaching industry. It was mentioned to me, maybe offensive lines, one of the more difficult jobs to fill just because the number of people in that elite level is fewer than at other positions. 64 years old, 40 years in the coaching industry. 
college football, the National Football League. Going to practice, it won't be the same without hearing the barking from the offensive line area. You could be anywhere watching practice, and every once in a while, you'd hear the voice. Yep, there's the offensive line. They're right over there because Harry was barking, a.k.a. teaching. A great teacher. I think he worked really well with Tommy Reese while Tommy was the offensive coordinator. There was good chemistry there. Apparently he and Tommy's dad have known each other for a very, very long time. There's a great relationship there, and I thought they did some really good things together. But Harry in the release said, quote, I have made the decision to retire. It is important to me to spend time with my family as I have two kids competing in college athletics, one for his last season, and I've decided it is time for me to be a part of that. Coach Freeman sets the example for Notre Dame football every day, and he brings out the best in all of us. The players, especially the offensive line, are the best part of this great job, and I thank them for their hard work. I'm betting no one on the football team has coached harder than the offensive line, and yet at the same time, there is not a group that respects that man more than that offensive line group. They would run through a wall for Harry Heastan. And it was so exciting during the offseason last year when Marcus Freeman got the job. Harry was coming back after being away from coaching for two years. Matt Nagy wasn't smart enough to hold on to him with the Chicago Bears. So after two years away, he came back. And the offensive line took a couple of games for them to get things rolling, but then had a really solid season the rest of the way. Two coaching stints for Harry at Notre Dame, 2012 to 2017, working with Brian Kelly, and then coming back to Notre Dame last year. Harry, thank you for setting such a high standard for offensive line play here in South Bend, and I hope his words his vision, his way of doing things carries on for many, many years to come. Because it is hard to top Harry Heastan. So that's a bummer. That was bummer news right before the Super Bowl got underway. Didn't really see that coming, but hey, Harry, 40 years in the business, got a chance to watch the kids now the last couple of years of their college careers. Who could blame him? But that is some big, big shoes to fill. So, Harry, thank you, thank you, thank you on behalf of the entire Notre Dame fan base. So now, two coaching vacancies for Marcus Freeman to take care of with spring practice about a month away. Now let's move along to topic number two in our hat trick of opening topics. Let's focus on Super Bowl 57 for a moment. The Eagles lost to the Kansas City Chiefs 38-35 in a really fun Super Bowl to watch down in Glendale. The Super Bowls in Glendale have not disappointed. Stop guessing the helmet catch. Yeah, the helmet catch 15 years ago down in Glendale as the Giants upset the undefeated New England Patriots. 
David Tyree's helmet catch, the play we remember from that game. Then you had the interception by the Patriots, Butler at the goal line on a Russell Wilson pass with seconds left in that Super Bowl. Patriots knocked off Seattle. And we had another doozy down in the desert last night with the Chiefs, you could argue, played a flawless second half in rallying from 10 down to beat the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. But I want to focus on something the Eagles did. Until just a few years ago, fourth down in most situations meant you punt the football. But with all the analytics, a lot of coaches are looking at fourth down differently. A lot more offenses are staying on the field and going for it on fourth down. And Nick Sirianni, the head coach of the Eagles, is front and center in that way of thinking. Andy Reid's been a longtime head coach in the NFL. He's more on the conservative side. Punt it, kick the field goal. Sirianni, attack. Fourth down is a go play. It's almost like he uses third down as second down and fourth down as third down. So it's interesting what happened in this game. It was 14-14 in the second quarter. Eagles had the football fourth down and five at the Kansas City 44. They decide to go for it. And Hurst runs 28 yards for a first down to the Kansas City 16. Fourth and two at the Kansas City 8. A few moments later, the Chiefs jumped offside. There was 2.42 to go in the first half. I'm not convinced they would have snapped the ball there. That might have been, hey, let's see if we can get them to jump offside a free first down. That's exactly what happened. Next play, Jalen Hurts, four-yard touchdown run. This drive followed Hurts fumbling, leading to the Chiefs' defensive touchdown that tied the game at 14. But that Hurts touchdown was his second of the game, and he became the first quarterback to rush for two touchdowns in a Super Bowl since... The funky QB known as McMahon. The Bears' Jim McMahon, Super Bowl 20 against the Patriots, the last quarterback to rush for two touchdowns in a Super Bowl. Hertz would end up with three, tying the Broncos' Terrell Davis, who had three one-yard rushing touchdowns in Super Bowl 32 against the Green Bay Packers. But what was amazing, those fourth-down drives kept the ball in the hand of the Eagles, and they would score. The Eagles had the ball longer on that drive, 7 minutes and 19 seconds, than the Chiefs had had the football the entire game at that point, 7 minutes and 8 seconds. I bring this up because the head coach, if he's not the play caller, is always communicating with the offensive coordinator slash play caller where they are on the field and what his plans are are on fourth down. Like, if you have second down and six, if you're the Eagles at the Kansas City 45, you might already be telling your play caller, we're going to go for it on fourth down. If we get to fourth down, we're going for it. If it's manageable, not fourth and 15, but fourth and three, and inside of that, probably you're going for it. One point, they went for it on fourth down and five and picked up a first down on a long run by Jalen Hurts. My point is, as a play caller, 
It's second down and six, but yet you have three plays to work with. So it's almost like with the way the Eagles run the football in short yardage situations, they put the players behind the quarterback and they just do a rugby push and get the first down. So when you're at second and six, as a play caller, you're almost thinking, I've got two plays to get at least four yards. Because if it's fourth and two, the Eagles are so good at getting a push up front, they always pick up the first down in that particular situation. That really opens up the playbook for the play caller. I heard a stat last night, nobody runs the football on third down than Philadelphia because they try to get to that fourth and one, fourth and two range to set up going for it on fourth down. The analytics have changed the game, or should I say people now digging into the analytics and finding that there is more benefit to going for it on fourth down in a lot of situations. So if you're a coordinator at second and six near midfield, you've got two plays to mess with. You can run it on second down, get it to second, third and two. Then you can go for a huge pass play knowing you're going for it on fourth down. As a play caller, that has to be a major advantage. And I wonder, will the NFL get rid of that rugby push, the bush push as we know it around here? I hope not because that play is still more exciting than a punt. You want more offense in the game. This is keeping the offense on the field more. It is reducing a special teams play that's not going to draw any excitement. I have no problem with it, and I hope it stays in the game. I hope the NFL doesn't overreact to that play in which everybody gets behind the quarterback and boom, they push him forward. It's a very effective play, just like running a slant is a very effective play. I hope it stays in the game. Don't overreact, NFL. Our third and final hat trick opening topic for tonight's program on this Monday, the Northwestern Wildcats. What a story in college basketball. There was not a lot of buzz about Northwestern basketball going into this season. There were a lot of Big Ten teams to point to. The Yellow Ball Club was one. Purdue. You always mention Michigan State. Illinois had the transfers. Iowa always puts up 80, 85 points a game. Don't forget about them. Michigan's got a lot of talent. Are they put in the best position at all times? Eh. But then there's old Northwestern. Coming into yesterday's game at home, taking on number one Purdue. The old Wildcats were 0-18 in their basketball history, taking on the number one team of the country. I wonder how many times it was Bob Knight in Indiana through the years. Well, the Wildcats got it done yesterday at Welsh Rhine Arena. Northwestern 64, Purdue 58. It looked like the Boilermakers had another victory in their back pocket. They were up 55-47 with 3.52 to go. But old Northwestern closed the game on a 17-3 run, and they stunned the Boilermakers 64-58. Northwestern trying to keep a little drum in the Big Ten race. Boilermakers still in full control, but that win at least keeps our interest at a medium level. 
Purdue head coach Matt Painter. I would have loved to have watched the tape with him today of this game to get his thoughts. First, no one handles a loss in a press conference any better than Matt Painter in the Big Ten. Handles himself with class. Normally doesn't blame the officiating like some other Big Ten coaches do constantly. But Matt has some things for his team to work on heading toward the NCAA tournament. I mentioned the other day, Purdue has something that no one else has, 7-4 Zach Eady. They have a couple of freshman guards who've been really good, but in the tournament, freshman guards make you a little nervous. Those older veteran teams sometimes have the advantage. This was a day in which two guys who have played extremely well and Fletcher Lawyer and Brendan Smith just didn't bring their normal offensive game to the table. It was a struggle for Purdue, and they could not close out the game, losing to Northwestern 64-58. Purdue head coach Matt Painter on the loss. We had three turnovers in the first half, but we really did ourselves. Um, you know, gave ourselves a chance, I should say. They had about four or five plays in the first half with a call. We made, we played good defense, and it just pinballed around. And they ended up getting them and kind of getting easy baskets. So we felt like at half, being up seven, it really could have been, you know, 12 to 14 points at that time. We thought they'd really gotten some breaks, just the way the ball bounced. Um, but no, we, you know, some of them were triple threat, you know, just like the ball there at the end, like just triple threat being strong with the basketball. You know, some of them were passes out of the post. Um, you know, you're trying to turn, you get square to pass the basketball. Um, a couple of them when they went to zone press. You know, they, they kind of stole some time from us at the beginning, and that's where we struggled a little bit in the last game where we told those guys, hey, when you get it in, you got to attack right away because if something happens, now you've bought yourself a second or two, and then we got a couple of those, those turnovers that way. So um, just had to get quality shots down the stretch, you know, more, more than anything. You know, who cares how you got into that position? You know, you got to give yourself a chance. You know, we, we had one shot, it was an air ball three. Um, a couple others, we had you know turnovers, but you got to be able to get good shots right there. And then if you can get good shots, obviously if you don't make it, you got a chance to rebound with good rebound balance. But um, you know, just got to show more poise and toughness than we did. This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. It is 538 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Welcome back to the program. We'll talk some local basketball with Adams head coach Chad Johnston coming up in about 40 minutes here on WSBT Radio. Right now it's our Twitter question of the day. I enjoy posting Twitter questions on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. We have you vote on them, then we come back the next day and pass along the results and have a conversation about the question and the results. And we go back to the end of last week. On Friday, I asked you this question. What is the right play in Super Bowl 57? Eagles minus one and a half or Chiefs plus one and a half. I should have listened to the majority on this question because 
59% of you that voted were absolutely correct. The right play was Chiefs plus one and a half. 59% went that direction. 41% thought the team that was the favorite would win the game. The Philadelphia Eagles minus a point and a half. Those 41%, unfortunately, were on the wrong side of the play. Kansas City, what a great second half. One incompletion, no penalties, no turnovers. Just an impressive second half for a franchise that has now won two Super Bowls in the last four years, now three in their franchise history, and their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, is only 27 years old. Has he even reached his prime yet? That is a scary thought. So we thank you for voting. Greatly appreciate it. And right after Super Bowl 57 ended last night with the Chiefs winning 38-35, I posted this question again at 960-SportsBeat on Twitter. And this question will run through tomorrow afternoon. What was the difference in Super Bowl 57, a Chiefs win by the score of 38-35 over the Eagles? Here were your four choices. Number one, the Chiefs offensive line. What a spectacular performance by that offensive line. The Eagles came in as the heralded bunch with a great day sacking Patrick Mahomes. Could have set the NFL record for most sacks in a season. But boy, oh boy, what a job the Chiefs offensive line did protecting their quarterback. Zero sacks by that vaunted Eagles defense. And the offensive line deserves a ton of credit. That's why they are choice number one as the difference in Super Bowl 57. Difference number two, you got to go with the MVP, quarterback Patrick Mahomes. He did not even throw for 200 yards in this game. He had three touchdown passes, but the Chiefs rushing attack dinged the Eagles enough. Let's also keep in mind the Chiefs barely had the football in the first half. That hurt Mahomes' passing numbers. But the running game was better than I expected. Again, that kind of feeds back into the offensive line, but Patrick Mahomes still led this offense to 31 of the 38 points scored. Choice number three, what was the difference in Super Bowl 57? How about the poor Eagles defense? Supposedly one of the best in the NFL. They were roughed up by Kansas City, again giving up 31 points. Seven of the Chiefs' points scored on that fumble return for a touchdown by Bolton, who almost had two in the game, which would have been something. Your fourth and final choice for what was the difference in Super Bowl 57, the mistakes made by the Eagles, the fumble near midfield by Jalen Hurts, scooped up by Bolton for a touchdown, which tied the game at 14 in the second quarter. You had the holding call on Bradbury at the end of the game, which has drawn some controversy, but he admitted after the game it was a hold, and he said, I was just hoping they would let it slide. They did not. That pretty much ended the game. Chiefs kicked the field goal to win it. So what was the difference in Super Bowl 57? Would you point to the Chiefs offensive line, Kansas City quarterback Patrick Mahomes, the poor Eagles defense, or the mistakes made by Philadelphia? 
We'd love to get your vote. Vote right now on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. And we'll come back with the results on tomorrow's program. I've already picked out tomorrow's question of the day, and I think it will be an interesting vote for you, the Notre Dame football fans. I hope you'll come back tomorrow for that. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio is being brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you Barnaby's, the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And by Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, where new beginnings have happy endings. Coming up in a couple of moments, we'll spend a little more time on the Notre Dame football coaching vacancies. And should we be concerned about someone else leaving? It's a hypothetical, but we'll kick it around coming up in a moment as Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. It is 549 in your home of the Fighting Irish. Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Thanks for joining me on this post-Super Bowl Sunday and pre-Valentine's Day edition of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. We're also streaming live, as always, at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT Radio app. Also, a video stream of the show is available on the Twitch app. Well, it's been a very newsy last week and a half for Notre Dame football. This should be a nice, quiet time with National Signing Day pretty much in December now. February is a little bit more on the quiet side. You're getting ready for spring practice. But, wow, a couple of bombshells have hit this Notre Dame football program. First, it was Tommy Reese accepting Nick Saban's invitation to be the Alabama offensive coordinator, leaving Marcus Freeman a vacancy at offensive coordinator. And then we found out right before the start of the Super Bowl last night that legendary offensive line coach Harry Heastan has decided to retire after 40 years in coaching. So we're on day 10 of the offensive coordinator search and day one of the offensive line coaching search. I don't think it is anything to be concerned about that we are at day 10 of the coaching search or reportedly one coach has turned down the opportunity to join Notre Dame. This is still a very, very attractive job. Notre Dame is still in a position that they are negotiating against really nobody else right now. Nobody else is looking for an offensive coordinator. Now, do you wish this happened in December? Of course, that would allow Marcus Freeman a whole lot more time to figure out what's next, and maybe more coaches would be willing to move at that particular time. But this is still an extremely attractive job. You have a tremendous opportunity to work with a great quarterback in Sam Hartman. You've got two stalwart 
tackles to build your offensive line around. You've got a running back room that is loaded with talent. There's a lot of guys that very easily could be averaging 20 carries per game at other schools, all in the same running back room. Now, the tight end position looks a whole lot different with Michael Mayer, and they're still trying to get some young guys ready at wide receiver to take the reins there. But this is still a really, really good job. You have a defensive coordinator-minded guy as your head coach, and so you're probably going to get a lot of autonomy on the offensive side of the football. It's a really, really good job. And let's also, again, restate the fact we don't know if Utah's Andy Ludwig has been offered the job, if he's thinking about it. He was here on Friday. We saw him at the Notre Dame hockey game. Let's just play hypotheticals. Let's say he was offered the job and he took it right now. We're not going to hear anything for a little while just because Notre Dame goes through that extensive process of dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's on each player's resume and going through references. So it is a process. Now, of course, things get leaked from time to time. But at this particular moment, I don't think there's any negatives coming from the fact this is day 10. I think you also have to consider Marcus has been a head coach for a year now defensive coordinator at Cincinnati before that he may not have the connections that coaches who have been around 10 15 years so he is learning about individuals he's going through the process of getting to know these individuals so this process probably was going to take a little more time and right now we're at day 10 and there is plenty of time to get all this worked out long as you've got somebody ready to go, first day of spring practice to start getting the basics down to the offense, I think you're going to be just fine. Again, this is still an outstanding job. Offensive line coach, it was explained to me this might be one of the more tougher positions to fill just because the number of elite offensive line coaches just – there isn't the same amount as at other positions. And, I mean, Harry Heastan was the standard, so it's very difficult – to replace the standard at Notre Dame. And who knows, maybe the guy who takes the offensive coordinator position brings along their offensive line coach from the school they were at. That is a possibility. If you're a Blue and Gold Illustrated subscriber, I know Patrick Engel has a story up right now as he has posted a list of several candidates for the offensive line position. It's a very, very interesting list, and the Utah offensive line coach is on there. I'll let subscribers read the rest. Don't want to give away his story, but I guess it's not a surprise. The Utah offensive line coach is someone we should put in a story about possible candidates considering the offensive coordinator may or may not be involved in this process at this particular moment. Here's a name that we should probably write down. Just in case, this is a hypothetical, but Lou Anarumo, do you know who that is? Might ring a bell for NFL fans. He is the Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator. He has put together some really good schemes against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs the last few years, well-respected on the defensive side of the football in the NFL. He has had meetings with the Arizona Cardinals about their head coaching position. Now, if Lou hypothetically, gets the Arizona head coaching job, he's going to need a defensive coordinator. Now, who knows who that might be, but if we're going to play the assumption game, you would have to assume that a guy he worked with in Cincinnati 
Linebacker coach Al Golden might be considered for the defensive coordinator job with the Cardinals, of course. Last year, defensive coordinator for the Fighting Irish. I'm not trying to start rumors. It's just one of those connect-the-dot things. If this guy gets this job and you look at his past and people he's worked with, if you're putting together a list of possibilities for Arizona defensive coordinator, if Lou gets the job, you would probably have a list of 10 names, and Al might be one of those. Who knows what Al's future holds? Is he going to want to become a head coach again at the collegiate level? Does he want to become a defensive coordinator in the NFL? You know, I honestly don't know that. Again, not trying to start speculation, but you connect the dots and you wonder if this happens, would this happen? Sean Steichen, it looks like, might be the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. He had a really good night last night calling plays for the Philadelphia Eagles. Steichen is the Eagles offensive coordinator. He and Brian Johnson, the quarterback coach, have done a tremendous job making Jalen Hurts a high-level quarterback. And, man, did Jalen Hurts play a great game last night. Yeah, he had that fumble that hurt, but he played one of his better games in the NFL. It wasn't enough because the Eagles' defense did not live up to their standard. You could argue that Jalen Hurts was the MVP of that game. Very rarely does the losing team have the MVP. It has happened, not very often, but Jalen Hurts was the MVP of that game by the way he played, and I know the fumble hurt, but otherwise he played spectacular football for the Philadelphia Eagles, and if Jalen Hurts would have had an average game, this game wouldn't have been close. The Eagles' running game, takeaway Jalen Hurts, was non-existent last night. They just couldn't really get anything fully established other than Jalen Hurts in this contest. So if you're an Indianapolis Colts fan, Steichen, according to NFL Network, was on his way to Indianapolis today, and they were reporting the thought is he was there to finalize a deal to become the Colts' new head coach. So Nick Sirianni came from the Colts, went to the Eagles as head coach, and now maybe it's going to be an Eagle coach becoming the Colts head coach, Sean Steichen, again, reportedly in Indianapolis today. And the thought is he is finalizing a deal to become the Indianapolis Colts new head coach after the Josh McRoberts experience a couple of years ago in which the Colts released he was going to be the new head coach, and then he changed his mind. The Colts are going to make sure not only does Steichen sign the contract, that the ink dries before they announce anything. They're going to be extra cautious this time around, and I can't blame them. All right, let's take a timeout. 5.58 is our time. We've got a sports beat update coming up in a couple of moments. The My Five includes the top five winners of the weekend, and then we'll talk some hoops with South Bend Adams basketball coach Chad Johnson all coming up. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT. One question, five answers. This is the My Five Questions of the Day on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 609, Darren Pritchett back with you. Today's My Five, the top five wins of the weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We're going to start with women's college basketball, a big contest in the SEC yesterday. Number one, South Carolina taking on number three, LSU. Both teams undefeated, and the defending champs flexed their muscle. South Carolina, number one in the country, beat number three LSU 88-64, no doubt about it. 
Carolina's going to be the favorite to win the title. They are 25-0. LSU still having an unbelievable season. They are 23-1, and and really there's only one team better than them in the SEC, and it is the defending national champions. Four. Number four, the Northwestern Wildcats. 64-58, the victory over Purdue and Evanston yesterday, and the Wildcats very quietly, 18-7, 9-5 in the Big Ten, tied with Indiana for second place in the conference. Let's keep in mind Northwestern has only made the NCAA tournament one time. 2017, they went one and one. Now, they haven't locked up a berth this year, but this was a huge resume addition. If they get to 20 wins, it seems like they're going to have enough credentials to get into the tournament. In fact, they're going to be solidly in the tournament. Don't sleep on Northwestern. They play well together, and they play as good a defense as anybody in the country, and they took down the Boilermakers by six yesterday. Okay, okay, Uh, number three. Another winner this weekend, Indianapolis Colts fans. Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen had an awesome weekend as offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. What a great game plan. Did a lot of good things against the Kansas City defense. It just didn't work out losing by three. Also, it was a win for the Colts this weekend when Jeff Saturday, the interim head coach the last eight games of this year, found out that he was out of the running for the full-time head coaching position. Number two. Another winner this weekend, Scotty Scheffler. He wins the Waste Management Open on the PGA Tour out in Arizona. He won the title for a second straight year. Last year, it was his first PGA Tour victory, and he has just evolved since that victory. Sunday, he fired a final round six under par 65 to beat Nick Taylor by two shots and John Rahm by five. And with the victory, he retakes the number one spot in the world rankings. And oh, by the way, winning the Waste Management Open Scheffler pocketed $3.6 million from the $20 million purse. This was the second of the PGA Tour's new designated events. It was created to get more of the best players together in the same tournament in response to Live Golf being competition to the PGA Tour. The crowds were enormous. The 16th hole, the par three, is just like nothing else with the Stadium seating all the way around the hole. It is truly a tournament to itself, and Scheffler has won it back-to-back years. Number one. And, of course, the top winner of the weekend, the Kansas City Chiefs beating the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35. They did not panic at halftime. Their quarterback retweaked his ankle. What type of shot did he get (laughs) to relieve the pain? He came out after halftime, led the Chiefs right down the field. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Hardly a mistake made by Kansas City offensively in the second half. And for the second time in four years, Kansas City Super Bowl champions beating the Eagles 38-35. Those are the winners from this weekend. Women's College Basketball, number one, South Carolina. For men's college basketball, Northwestern beats Purdue. Indianapolis Colts fans, golfer Scotty Scheffler and the Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. We'll talk some local basketball with Adams head coach Chad Johnston coming up next as Sportsbeat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
It is 17 minutes after 6 o'clock. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Let's talk some local basketball. We're joined by the head basketball coach at South Bend Adams, Chad Johnston. Sixth year at Adams, a record of 92 and 56, 21 years as a high school basketball coach, 287 victories. And South Bend Adams will make the short trip over to the cave to take on the Mishawaka Cavemen in a non-conference game with also, I guess, a little sectional flair to it since they are both in the Laporte sectional. And you can hear Adams and Mishawaka tomorrow night at 7.30 on our sister station, 96.1 The Ten. I'm going to be filling in for Brian Miller, so I'll get to talk about all the excellence of Coach Johnson's strategy in tomorrow night's game. Coach, good to be with you. How are you this evening? I'm doing well, thanks, Darren. <clears throat> You betcha. Greatly appreciate your time. As always, boy, oh boy, Coach, the NIC is always very difficult, but there are some high-end basketball teams in your league this year. How would you describe the gauntlet you guys have gone through? Oh, it's been it's been extremely extremely tough. Um, there's some really high quality teams as well as some really high quality individual players. That it's really um, when I'm watching them on film or in person scouting, um, you're just kind of taken back um, uh, about some of the talent we have around here, which is very exciting for the NIC uh, and the northern uh, part of the state. So I'm really impressed with uh, our conference this year. It's extremely tough. Um, night in and night out if you're playing an NIC team, and you have to be ready to play. So it, I think that's just going to help us prepare us for the end of the month here. I think uh, that's a really, really good thing. Part of the process of being a high school basketball coach, talent cycles through so quickly. Just, you know, recently, sectional champions. Now a little different yeah. feel to this year's team. How has your team grown from the start of the year to the one that Mishawaka will face tomorrow night? Right. Um, uh, a lot of juniors and a couple of seniors, but a lot of them there um, have not had a lot of that um, experience. Let's put it like that. They may have been role players last year where now they're kind of pushed up to the front um, and they've grown over the past couple months. Um, I always look at practice and how much better they get and the games are great, but I'm really happy to see individual growth in each kid um, as we continue to go through the season. Yes, they have some there's games that they don't play well or practice well. It's trying to get consistency um, with their effort and energy every day at practice. And some of them, 16, 17-year-old kids, it's hard to get that out on a consistent basis. But I'm really happy um, prior to the Penn game how we were trending. We were trending up. Um, and I told the kids that the energy and practice, our effort um, in games um, was great. Um, now we've kind of last couple games we really haven't played well together we haven't shot well we haven't defended well all those things you need to do to be to win another sectional so um today was probably one of our better practices we've had um so i think i'm really happy where they bounce back after a long weekend um so yes yeah, so a lot of guys have not played uh significant minutes there and, and i'm really happy uh with pocket of them some days it's one kid now it's another so if we get them all consistent um in the next two or three two weeks um i'll be really happy because they they know it's a sense of urgency especially our couple seniors that we have it's interesting i'm listening to you talk about the last couple of games things had not gone as well as right before 
the Penn game. Mm-hmm. In your 21 years as a head coach, is there something you always rely on or go to in practice yeah. when a team goes into a funk? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's different drills you can do. Um, I'm not saying lighten up the mood, but they're fun defensive drills uh, where it's competitive, which we always try to make it competitive in practice. But uh, as a coach, you don't need to be wound tight up in these situations. Everybody knows we're not winning the NIC, and that's okay. We need to get start getting prepared. So different things we do in practice, um, we kind of – um, not say loosen up, but we have a little bit more fun, uh, and then we get back to business, which we did today. And uh, guys were diving on the loose balls; they were taking charges. I we had a charge drill today that we always do in practice, and we didn't do it today because we took five or six charges in practice. So um, I'm really, really happy with you know it's could be great today and then terrible tomorrow. But you're dealing with <laughs> 16, 17, 18 year old kids, so you got to take the good with the bad, and know you just can coach them. Um, what you believe, and uh, sometimes they take it around with it, and sometimes they're stagnant. But uh, I'm really, really happy um, with our guys. Uh, one of our one of our seniors tonight really showed some great leadership. Is Jeremiah Love? We played football, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. Just really happy with. And one of our we have two two freshmen that are playing some varsity minutes, one starting, and really took them today and uh, kind of put wrapped his arm around him and kind of just guided him got him along when he was struggling so not not you know prompted by any coach or anybody else um just really really happy with to see some of our leadership of our uh, our seniors helping our our freshmen out which is great to see yeah. um that's just growth and and and, and i love it uh, that our guys are uh, doing that and it's not the coaches all the time trying to help out the young young kids Coach, you realize if they were consistent, did everything right the same day, you'd be bored. You'd be bored. They're just keeping yeah. you honest and excited, right? <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. One of uh, a couple of years ago, as you know, we were pretty pretty decent. And yeah. like, one of my assistants said, you know, we just had to push a lot of buttons with that group. Now it's just a great challenge to get try to get them where you, you want them to be. And uh, you see pockets and flashes of it in practice and in games, but it's just not over a four quarter period constant consistency which i think we're i think we're going to get there i mean i mean i get to, you know get to the championship or whatever i just think i'm really happy with the progress this group has made and you also we lose our leading score last year we moved to texas and that kind of that oh. hurts all those little things but people lose you know injuries or whatever so there's no excuses involved it's just uh, uh it's tough when you got an inexperienced group but they're growing as as the year goes on, which I'm really excited about. My guest is Chad Johnson, head coach of South Bend Adams. They'll play at Mishawaka tomorrow night on 96-1 the ton. So, Coach, you've got Mishawaka tomorrow. You've got one more conference game later in the week. You host Riley. Then you've got an interesting non-conference game to wrap up the regular season against Maryville. At this moment, it's February 13th. You're a couple of weeks away from the start of the sectional. Are you starting to turn your attention now to getting this team ready for sectional play? Yes, absolutely. That's 100% right. Um, and we're in, in, in saying that, we're looking at different combinations with kids, um, who plays well together, who's plus minus is really good by, in the game, um, who's not playing well together, you know, like who, who plays uh, in pockets together when our plus plus is plus 10 or 15, you know, who's playing well together. So, yes, we are doing that. We're kind of evaluating on the um, – every two days to see where everybody is um especially after games we sit down 
coaching staff's done a really good job of kind of uh, pinpointing that. So we're kind of mixing a lot of, and I don't like to use the word experience, a lot of freshmen and with a lot of seniors, two or three of them, that um, you're going to get inconsistency with the freshmen because uh, a lot of their eight-grade group was done <laughs> done at this time last year around <laughs> Christmas. So they're you're learning they're learning how to continue to play um, when normally their season is probably probably over with uh, if they're playing in South Bend at, at Christmas time or, or a little bit after. So mixing those seniors and juniors with a couple of sophomores and two or three freshmen that um, it, it, it it's gonna you're gonna have some growing pains. So yes, we are definitely um, gearing towards uh, the sectional. Um, we played a couple uh, a sexual opponents already. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, obviously, we'll play another one um, when we play you guys tomorrow. But I really want to see the best, and that's why we schedule games like Maryville. I try to, we try to make our non-conference schedule as most difficult as it can be so you're ready come, come, you know, come sectional time. And that's all, in my opinion, that's all anybody remembers. You can go 24-0 in the regular season lose that first round or second round or whatever it may be. Yeah. And that's all anybody remembers. Uh, and it's, it's sad, but that's kind of our nature of our society. I know I've talked to a lot of people, and they look at the LaPorte sectional, which is Adams, Riley, Michigan City, Plymouth, LaPorte, Mishawaka. It seems like a wide-open sectional because you can pinpoint each team. There are moments they look like, wow, they could win the sectional. Other moments, wow, mm-hmm. they're struggling. It feels like anybody can beat anybody. I would just kind of get – your general thoughts, I know we're doing this a little early ahead of the sectional. You have regular season no, games left, but just a, a general thought on the competition level in that sectional coming up. Yeah, it's 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 wide open. I totally agree with you. It's not like um, there's a clear-cut favorite to, to win it. Um, and I think um, if you would tell me Team A could win it, I would say, yeah, you, you could make great arguments about that. Or Team B can win it. You Anybody in the sectional, if they get hot, can play well for two or three games uh, and win the thing. So that is what kind of our focus on. And the kids, I've, we've, we've kind of talked about that ever since before Christmas, just getting prepared. When we go to tournaments, we go play somewhere. Um, this is just helping us playing two games in one day or whatever it is, just to get us prepared uh, for regionals or whatever that, that may be. But it's, it's definitely uh, wide open. Um, and I think – Anybody, if they get hot at the right time, can win the thing. Uh, and that's kind of exciting. Um, it's really exciting uh, because a lot of sections you see around our area, there's probably a clear-cut favorite going into it. Um, uh, and there, I don't think there's, that's the case with cars. Uh, I think it could be uh, – it could be – it could go any way. I'm going to ask you a very difficult question. I'm not looking for who's the best player, but I'm just wondering as someone who – has coached for 21 years in this area, and recently we've had players like Demetrius Jackson, Blake Wesley, and now Marcus Burton, who is a Mr. Basketball candidate. Just the impact these players had at the high school level, and and I I don't want you to compare necessarily, but is is Burton right there with DJ and Wesley who have gone on to have great professional careers? Yeah, yeah, he definitely is, and I wouldn't. I probably wouldn't have said this statement last year at this time. He is just on watching film, seeing him in person. It's just a different level, and I actually saw a glimpse of it this summer when we played uh, it at Carmel in the summertime with our and Westfield with our with our summer our, our high school kids, and they were playing Cathedral. He just played in a different a different gear. It was a different level. Um, now the 
three are not, like you said, I'm not comparing, but they're different. When you look at Blake, he has a different body style than, than um, uh, Marcus does. Totally different body style. But he is just as explosive as Blake was. Um, he's just as quick as Blake is. I mean, all those things he can shoot. Uh, I haven't seen a kid like that. And, I mean, DJ was really good, and it's hard because I – I got him when I was at Washington. We mm-hmm. keep competing against him against Washington, and I, I forget sometimes. But he's because Marcus is just fresh in my head. But the kid's special. I mean, he's flat out special, and I think he's he's going to have a really good uh, college career. And I think he's he can he can do some big things in college because he kind of reminds me a little bit, if you remember, because um, I coached him a couple All Star games. Is Nick Moore? He kind of reminds oh, yeah. me of Nick Moore. Oh wow. Um, uh, his explosiveness, his able to change pace, uh, his shot has improved from last year tremendously. He's just really, really all-around great players. Defense, he distributes um, pretty much all you want in a guard or point guard. He has it. He has it. So I'm very, very, very fortunate to watch this um, these last these last couple of years, um, and it's just a. It's just fun to watch. I mean, you gotta, if you really love basketball, you're not jealous or envious. You appreciate somebody like him and somebody like Blake. You appreciate those those type of guys, uh, especially being in the northern part of the state. Yeah, you mentioned Nick Moore. I looked him up real quick. He averaged 13 points a game between his stops at Illinois State and SMU. So he had a really, really yeah. good Division One career. And, Coach, I would imagine – one more question for you really quick here as we start to wind things okay. down. When, when you talk about – what Al Rhodes has built at Penn with Burton being the centerpiece, but it's not like you just stop him. The problem is they have weapons all over the place, right? No, that's very true. And we've competed against Penn for the past, I mean, my team, whatever we coach, whatever, for 21 years. This by far, I was around when, you know, Dean Foster coached, Mm -hmm. you know, just different guys in between there a little bit. But this by far, is the best, and just take Marcus out of the situation. This is by far the best Penn team I've seen, hands down, hands down. Because um, what makes them so effective is they're just not the, the top five. They have height, they have length, um, and they also have depth. And that is very, very cr- critical as far as you know making a you know a tournament run. I think they uh, they really, really have all the pieces to make a run at this. Um, and I hope they do. I mean, if we don't do it, obviously, I hope somebody yep. like uh, I'm rooting for. And I'm just saying that just honestly, I root, you got to root for some, somebody like that. So we can, it represents the northern part of our state. But a lot of stuff happens in sections. You can't control it. <laughs> yeah. it may not, that may not happen. Yeah. But I'm, it's not going to be us. I definitely want it to be somebody that can that can make and built for it, and they're built for it um, to get down there and, and, and make a run at this because it would be great for our – our, our area. Well said. Coach, let's leave with this. Adams and Mishawaka tomorrow night. What type of game do you think the fans are going to witness at the cave? Yeah, um, I'm really impressed with the the, the coach, the new coach um, at uh, at Mishawaka. He's done a really good job. In the four, actually, I just was watching film before you called at school, and I'm just really impressed with what they've done. Um, they, they've they, they share the ball, it looks like, a lot of on film at times. Um, and they really look good in pockets, just like we look good in pockets. Uh, but I'm, uh, I think you're going to see a um, – a little bit of an up and down game, but also if we don't have anything, we need to be patient. We are taking too many threes um, in the last two games. Um, they are, um, they have a guard, they got some shooters, uh, they got a couple posts. 
so they have a they've had a successful season. Um, but I I think you're going to see kind of an up and down game. But if you don't if, if it doesn't get to that, uh, they definitely run their sets well. And hopefully we do, we we do as well. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of a good gauge for us because they've kind of played in the NLC and see where we stand uh, after this rough weekend. I think uh, we've learned from this weekend, um, and I think we want to try to get a couple here before sure. you know sectional on uh, on the couple weeks. Well, Coach, good to catch up with you. Greatly appreciate yeah, you absolutely. taking the time to join me here on the program yeah. and looking forward to yeah. visiting with you a couple of minutes tomorrow night. Sounds great, Darren. Thank you. For- Thank you, Coach, very much. South Bend Adams basketball coach Chad Johnston, the Eagles, and Mishawaka tomorrow night. Pre-game right around 7.05, opening tip right around 7.30. You can hear the game on 96.1 The Ton. 26 minutes in front of 7 o'clock at WSBT. Have you you can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live real or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett. After 20 plus years, you think I could hit the right button once in a while. <laughs> 22 minutes in front of 7 o'clock. Sportsbeat continues here on WSBT Radio, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT Radio app. Well, Super Bowl 57 in the books. Fun game, entertaining game. There were a few years back in the 90s where it was a blowout, it seemed like, every single year. But in today's NFL, where things are so much more competitive, we have been treated to some really tight games the last few years. And last night, didn't disappoint. 73 points scored in the Super Bowl, and the Chiefs knocked off the Philadelphia Eagles 38-35 on a... Tremendous performance by that Kansas City Chief offensive line, setting the table for the running game of Kansas City and allowing their MVP, Patrick Mahomes, to do a whole lot of damage. And Super Bowl 57 was heard right here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Kelsey back in, 18 at Philadelphia, Kansas City, second down eight. Mahomes in the gun, waving Kelsey in motion, shotgun snap, drifts back three, cocks his arm, marching spiral pass, near side over the shoulder, catch, caught, touchdown at the goal line, down the near side, Travis Kelsey brings it in, beating Marcus Epps. 18-yard touchdown pass by quarterback Patrick Mahomes to the tight end, Travis Kelsey. Three on the right, two on the left, by himself in the shotgun. It is the quarterback, Hurts, third and six from his own 48. He'll try to blast his way. He fumbles the ball. It's bobbling and loose. It's picked up by Bolton, the 30. Foot race, 20, 10, 5, touchdown! The Chiefs have recovered a Hurts fumble and taken it in. Nick Bolton has come up with the biggest defensive play of the game so far. Midway through the second. Five, Kansas City, third and three, down by six, receiver in motion, shotgun snap, here's a pass, back pedaling catch of the five, caught by Tony, he'll breeze into the end zone, touchdown! The Chiefs have just taken the lead with a touchdown pass or tied the game at 27 with three minutes gone in the fourth, Tony 
has grabbed the touchdown pass of five wide open on the near side on a backpedaling grab and with ease third and goal for Philadelphia Mahomes shotgun snap backpedals and throws a pass wide open spinning catch five into the end zone Skymore the Chiefs have compounded their lead now with 9.22 to go 34-27 and the Eagles out of timeouts and the Chiefs will try to go up with a 27-yard field goal by Harrison Butker. Winchester the snap. The hold by Townsend. The kick is away and good! 27-yard field goal to take the lead with eight seconds remaining in Super Bowl 57. There you go. Kevin Harlan, the best in the business at calling football on the radio. I mean, he is just so descriptive the emotion, fantastic. Kevin Harlan on the call on Westwood One, heard here on WSBT Radio. The Chiefs win 38-35. to I was jotting down some of the interesting props that almost hit or hit in last night's Super Bowl. The always popular heads or tails prop at DraftKings Sportsbook. You could get heads for plus 100 and tails for plus 100 and it was a tail so if you bet 10 you won an easy 20 bucks last night this was the one that was just heartbreaking for a lot of people who wagered on the first touchdown of the game Kenneth Gainwell an up-and-coming running back for Philadelphia with Miles Sanders a little dinged up he got some key carries on that opening drive, and Gainwell dove for the end zone. It was signaled a touchdown, and the Eagles led 6-0. First touchdown of the game, Gainwell was plus 1,400. To put that in a little more perspective for non-wagerers, if you bet $50 on Gainwell to score the first touchdown of the Super Bowl, you would have come back with 850 bucks. He was a long shot. After video review, shoulder down and inches away from the goal line. So all the people that had Gainwell scoring first missed, in this case, 850 bucks by inches. Moments later, Jalen Hurts, who was plus 800 to score the first touchdown of the game, put the ball in the end zone, so you bet 50. You won 430, which is still pretty doggone good. But for Gainwell, those wagers just missed the jackpot as he came up short of the goal line. Travis Kelsey, anytime touchdown, was the most popular anytime touchdown on the market. He made up 28.9% of the money in the anytime touchdown pool at DraftKings Sportsbook, and Kelsey scored the first Chiefs touchdown to tie the game at seven. So all those individuals hit that particular prop. And also an anytime defensive touchdown was plus 300. Nick Bolton of the Chiefs picked up a fumble, returned it for a touchdown to tie the Super Bowl at 14 in the second quarter. And that was a profitable touchdown for people who wagered on him. If you go deeper into the props, Bolton was 75-1 to to score an anytime touchdown. If you had a wager on Bolton, man, you were smiling after that play. He almost scored a second. It got called back. And by the way, that turnover by Hertz, That led to the Bolton touchdown. That was the first Eagles turnover of the postseason. It came at a very bad time. And how about the field? 
how slick it was. The NFL spent $800,000 on this side, apparently a farm in Arizona. They spent two years growing this special blend of grass, and nobody could keep their footing. Just difficult to watch. Pass rushers, people trying to run with the football, losing their footing. The Eagles went through different size cleats, and just nothing seemed to work. Disappointing. Super Bowl should not have such a spotlight on people not being able to keep their footing. All right, we'll go through our sports wagering picks from Friday's show to see how our Super Bowl props played out. And we've got some picks for tonight that's coming up next as Sportsbeat continues on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT Radio app. And now another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. That doesn't sound... Show me the money. We go with Sizzler. We go with Sizzler. 6.50 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Sports beat tomorrow night from 5 until 6.30 because the program will end a half an hour early. The Irish basketball team down in Durham, North Carolina to take on the Duke Blue Devils in an ACC matchup. Tony Simeone hanging out with the Cameron Crazies. We'll get the pregame started at 6.30. And the opening tip is set for 7 o'clock here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. What a performance by Nate Lashevsky as he put up 33 on Saturday in the losing effort to Virginia Tech. It was a good Super Bowl 57 for the Sizzler segment. Let's recap the picks from Friday's program. The first one did not work out. The Eagles minus one and a half to win the Super Bowl. That was an L as the Chiefs won 38-35. Now to all the good news. We had total points in the game set at 51. I went over 51 total points at minus 110. The game ended with 73 it almost went over at halftime. Incredible. So you bet 10, you win 19.09. Selection number three from Friday's show Kansas City tight end Travis Kelsey, an anytime touchdown. I just mentioned 28.9% of the money on the anytime touchdown pool was on Kelsey. I followed suit, and Kelsey had a touchdown in the first quarter to take care of that really quick. Sizzler, selection number four from Friday. It was Eagles backup running back Kenneth Gainwell going over 19 and a half rushing yards. He piled up quite a few yards early, then it slowed down. He ended up with 21. All we needed was 20. Plenty of room to spare. That was at minus 30. You win 10, you win 17.69. And also from Friday's show, the fifth selection was Eagles wide receiver Devontae Smith, the Heisman Trophy winner from Alabama. I had him going over 62.5 receiving yards. He finished with the century mark, 100, easily over 62.5. We had Devontae Smith at minus 125. You bet 10, you win 18. So I went 4-1 and one on the day and wagering 10 bucks on each of those five selections. We won $22.18. And with the 4-1 day, we ended up 
11 and 10 for the week, 17 and 12 now in February and for the year 51, 41 and 2. Let's go ahead and make some quick selections for this Monday. Not a lot to choose from. This is risky, but I'm rolling the dice with Carolina at home against a better Miami team. I'm going to be nuts and go Carolina minus five and a half. The game is big for the Tar Heels. They've got to protect their home floor. Let's go with the Heels minus five and a half against Miami at minus 110. From the same game, Carolina forward, Armando Baycott. I think he's going to have a good night inside. I've got him over 17 and a half points at minus 115. You bet 10, you win 1869. Let's go to the National Basketball Association tonight where the Indiana Pacers are hosting the Utah Jazz in just a couple of moments. Pacers are 17 and 13 at home, not as good recently as earlier in the year. Utah, a lot of changes to the roster. They are 10 and 18 on the road. Let's go Pacers minus one against the Jazz at minus 110. And from the NHL, I'm going to take the road team. This is a toss-up game. I'm going to go with the road team, the Florida Panthers, on the money line as they play in the state of hockey against the Minnesota Wild. That wager at minus 110, you bet 10, you win 19.09. So go, we'll go with Carolina minus 5.5, Baycott over 17.5 points, Pacers minus 1 against Utah, and the Panthers on the money line against the Minnesota Wild. Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers. Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's the family inn. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future, and Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop for new beginnings, have happy endings. Have a great evening. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 5 o'clock on Sports Radio 960 WSBT South Bend.